Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 5. We have seen the healing of this impotent man, and he has been healed by Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus asked him in chapter 5, verse 6, Will you be made whole? The gentleman who had been laying there, sick of this thing, for 38 years, how long he'd been at the pool, I don't know, but he'd been impotent, meaning unable to walk, unable to take care of himself, for 38 years. He said, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And that's when Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. He proclaimed that he had no man to help him. My friend, that is the proclamation of most of the world today. I have no one to help me find salvation. I have no one to help me in my pursuit of God. I have no one to help me make a better life for myself. I have no one to help me understand my need and then to find the cure. I have no one. In reality, of course, we all have someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. The impotent man met the omnipotent man. Omnipotent means all-powerful. Impotent means without power. And so the man without power met the all-powerful one, that is, God himself, in the very person of the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And immediately, verse 9, the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath, and that's where the problem is. The Jews, and John refers to the rulers of the Jews, primarily the Pharisees, but certainly the Sanhedrin, but the rulers of the Jews are the ones that John refers to when he calls them the Jews. You have to understand the code. It wasn't the Jews, as in the Hebrew people, it wasn't the Jews, as in all those who were in Jerusalem. It wasn't the Jews, all those in Judea. It was the leaders of the Jews. It was the rulers of the Jews. It was the Pharisees. We would say the Pharisees primarily, although the Sadducees entered in as well. Uh, the Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now, this is what this gentleman, who had been stricken with this problem for 38 years, said. Verse 11, he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. This fellow that healed me 
told me I was supposed to take up my bed and walk. He didn't say I was supposed to lie at the Pool of Bethesda until the Sabbath is over, and then I can take up my bed and walk. He told me to rise, take up my bed, and to walk. I was healed immediately, and so therefore, that's what I did. If someone heals you of this dread disease that I had, this dread problem I had, would you not obey him when he told you to do something so simple as to stand up, to take up your bed, and to walk? Wouldn't you do that? You know, that's basically what he's saying here. Not in so many words, of course, but that's basically what's implied Think of the foolishness and the silliness, and we've we talked about this last time, but I want to reiterate it. Think about how foolish these Pharisees are, these Jews are, who are saying, well, uh, so you got healed, so what? You're carrying your bed, that's wrong. Here is this person that was cured of the malady, and they're not looking at the cure, they're looking at a minor problem. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? Who commanded you to sin, is what they're asking. And he that was healed wist not who it was, he didn't know, For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Jesus healed him and went on. Jesus was not hanging around for any accolades, pats on the back, anybody saying, whoa, look at this, anybody saying, wow, isn't that neat? Hey, how about you healing me too? And notice, Jesus did not heal everybody at the Pool of Bethesda. They were all waiting for the moving of the water but he only healed this one man that he had had contact with. Now that's interesting to me that Jesus, the most compassionate of all, the most able of all to heal, only healed the one paralytic man. And so they asked him who he was. He said he didn't know. Jesus had moved himself out without being discovered as to his name or who he was. Now afterward, verse 14, Jesus findeth him in the temple, that is, the man who had taken up his bed, that had been healed. And he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Some commentators, J. Vernon McGee among them, but uh, other commentators as well, say that the healing of the body was at the Pool of Bethesda. And when he believed Christ and stood up and took up his bed and walked, he fulfilled what was required because Christ's command was given him to do that, and he did it. And so he received full healing at that time physically. And then those commenters uh, go on to say that when Christ met him in the temple and told him, um, and we read it again here, Be, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. That's in verse 14. When he said, Behold, thou art made whole, and sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee, 
Christ forgave him of his sin. He certainly could do that. He's God. And he forgave him of his sin and gave him the warning not to sin anymore. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Now, there are those that I've read that say, well, that was wrong of him to do that. Well, I don't know that it was wrong. He was quite happy to be healed, and he was quite happy to know who healed him. And here's somebody not only healed him, but forgave him of his sin. And the the uh, rulers of the Jews, the Pharisees, couldn't do that. They couldn't heal him, and they couldn't forgive him of his sin. They couldn't do any of that. In fact, they just had an ethical understanding of what uh, religion was all about, and they had no salvation whatsoever. They had an atonement, but that atonement was a blood sacrifice of an animal, and it lasted at most one year uh, for the people and had to be repeated over and over and over again. That was not the case with this forgiveness. This forgiveness was at the hand of God. This healing was at the hand of God. And so now the Jews know it was Jesus, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done those things on the Sabbath day. Verse 16. Now think about it for just a moment. For what are you persecuting Jesus? Well, we're persecuting Jesus because uh, he healed on the Sabbath day. What's wrong with healing on the Sabbath day? Well, you know, we're not supposed to do anything like that, so... Well, who else does anything like that? Nobody else did. Nobody else healed on the Sabbath day because nobody else healed. They didn't heal on the Sabbath day or on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday either, uh, or Sunday for that matter. They didn't heal on the Sabbath day. Didn't work. But they now decide to persecute Jesus, not prosecute Jesus, but persecute Jesus because he did these things on the Sabbath day. Notice also, in verse 16, it's very important that we see this. It's not only persecute him, but it's to slay him, to slay Jesus, to murder him, to kill him. And why would you do that? Because the very intent of Satan was there. The intent of Satan was to murder him. And they were doing the work of their father, the devil. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but had said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now notice... God, his own father, patera idion, God, his own father. They understood perfectly his claim of deity. Now, see, this is within the first few weeks of Christ's coming into his ministry. And yet the leaders of the Jews already understood that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah and the Son of God. And since he was claiming to be the Son of God, he was claiming to be equal with God, and they understood that. And they wanted to kill him because they didn't want him to be uh, presenting himself in this fashion. 
Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Amen and amen, I say unto you, Truthfully and truthfully, I say unto you, Without a doubt, without a doubt, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Here Christ presents to them and to those who would listen that greater works were coming, greater than healing a man at the pool, uh, at one of the porches at the pool of Bethesda, greater than turning water into wine, uh, greater than healing a nobleman's son from far away, greater than any of these are yet to come. And he's promising them greater works than these that ye may marvel. And what are you marveling at? You're marveling at what's going on. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Notice he healed whom he wanted to heal. He chose the one person for healing at the pool of Bethesda. The one person. And that one sign is recorded here in the Gospel of John. Do we know if he healed any more? He may have, but we don't know that. John doesn't tell us in his gospel that he healed any more at the Pool of Bethesda. We don't have it in any of the other gospels that he healed anybody else at the Pool of Bethesda. But it could have been. We just don't have that. But we know that he chose to heal that one. And it says he will do this. He'll quicken them, make them alive, whomever he will. Verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That's why Christ is presented in the Scripture as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's also the judge of judges. He is the judge. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. This is why it's so important for us to understand the co-eternality and the co-equality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We must understand this. The Father should honor or the uh, the people, those Jewish people that he's talking to, and us in this age, should honor the Son even as we honor the Father. We should not honor one and not the other. Verily, verily, truthfully, truthfully, amen and amen, or amen and amen, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let's talk about that. Have you 
Hear, hear, do you hear the word? Have you heard the word? His words, the word of Jesus. Have you believed on him who has sent him, that is God the Father? Have you received then the gift of everlasting life, eternal life? He says, if, if you've heard my words, if you've believed my Father who sent me, then you will have, and you do have, and you will always have, life eternal. And you won't be condemned, but you're passed from death unto life. And that's spiritual death. You pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life. Verse 25 of chapter 5. Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Now notice, the term Son of Man, do you remember that? We've talked about it. The Son of Man is the title for the Messiah. So not only does he have life in himself, he has authority to execute judgment, and he is presented here as the Messiah, the Son of Man. So he's God the Son, and he is the Son of Man, that is the Messiah. And that's what's important for us to see. You see, Christ's response to the Jewish rulers when they accused him of... um, healing on the wrong day of the week um, and uh, doing medicine on the wrong day of the week. Well, his response was considered to be blasphemous because he spoke of his own father, his own father. And, of course, his own father meant that he was the Son of God. And so they seek to kill him. But we understand that when he tells us that he's working, he says, I work, he's showing his power in at least two ways. Uh, These are prerogatives of deity, not prerogatives of humanity. He was showing his power in the capacity of being a judge and in the capacity of resurrection, which we will see in just a moment. He was submissive to the Father. He was not subordinate to the Father, but he was submissive to the Father. And that's what he talks about here when he's talking about that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. And he does the work that he does. Verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Notice the two resurrections. The resurrection of those who have 
place their faith in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of those who have not and are condemned already because they have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this is coming, and we must understand. So don't marvel at this, but understand that this time will come when resurrection will happen. And we must understand the two resurrections. We must understand the resurrection unto damnation and the resurrection unto life eternal. And the word damnation, resurrection unto damnation, is the resurrection unto condemnation. Because remember, they're condemned because they have not believed on the Son of God. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumble, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.